Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 238. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, you know, we talk about self-doubt and fear a lot in this show. It's a topic that comes up quite a bit. It's a topic that I deal with quite a bit, too, when I'm dealing with my coaching clients, my group coaching, and when we're talking out there. And I certainly talk about it a lot because it's something I've grappled with and I've battled with almost my entire life. You know, and I'm thinking that self-doubt and fear were bad things, meaning that I was, in a sense, not going to be successful because I was always doubting. I was always fearful. Well, I've come a long way in my thinking, you know, and when I feel that way, and I still do battle it every now and then, I, I like to pull out Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. I talk about that a lot. If you guys know me, you know I recommend this book. And it's something I, I read weekly, and I encourage them, I give it to my my teenage daughters, I give them to read it. There's so many great uh, ap- applicable messages in there when it comes to leadership, particularly when it comes to self-doubt. I love what he says about self-doubt. It is an ally. And so if you're questioning your ability to be a leader, if you ever find yourself asking, am I really a leader, or you don't feel that effective as a leader, you're constantly questioning your ability to be a leader, that's a good sign because self-doubt is an indicator of aspiration. Think about that. Self-doubt is an indicator of aspiration. It reflects love. Love is something we dream of doing, of a desire of something to become better. And so if you're asking that question, am I really a leader? The chances are you probably are. Think about that. If you're questioning that and you're asking yourself that, you're probably a pretty good leader and have the potential to be a great leader. It's because it's the counterfeit leader, the one who's wildly confident, that's the one that's really scared to death. Think about that. I've seen that in application in real life. I think it's something that you should remind yourself as you're questioning your leadership ability. And if you're afraid or you paralyzed with fear, that's a good sign too. Just like Stephen Pressfield says in The War of Art, that the more scared we are of a work or a calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. And so if you find yourself full of self-doubt, full of fear, those are good things. Those are blessings. And if you are doubting your ability as a leader, you're afraid of being a leader, and you're probably going to be a pretty damn good leader in my book. All right? Take that for school of thought today. So happy you're tuning into the show. This is the show where we talk about leadership because we're all on the journey. We all need reminders that leadership is for everybody and that we all have an obligation in this world in leadership. We're all going to be called to it. Somebody right now is looking to us for influence and guidance. So it's in our interest to learn all we can about the leadership journey. And hopefully this show is a great resource for you in that journey. And if you're finding some value, please subscribe to the show. I'd really appreciate that. Leave a rating and review. iTunes, it works well for Apple devices, the free podcast app. Stitcher works well for Android devices and if you can leave that rating and review, it takes a few minutes, but I highly would appreciate that. Please take the time. Again, it, it does so much to keep the show front and center. All right, last thing before we get to the guest, if you're needing a coach, if you 
ever thought about leadership coaching, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. Please reach out to me at doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com. Send me an email directly at richard at doseofleadership.com or hit the contact pages on any of those two websites and uh, tell me you want some coaching. We'll talk for an hour free, see if it's for you. It's not, no big deal, but we'll talk about some of the things that might be blocking your way or holding you back, like self-doubt and fear. I can help you work through those things. And if coaching works for you, it might be something to consider in your leadership journey. Okay, another great guest on Doser Leadership today is Jonathan Aspator. And uh, let me make a call out to Zachary Berman, the assistant that set up this interview. My apologies for getting this out late. I actually recorded this in mid-September, and my life got so chaotic and so busy, and that's no excuse, I know. But the find I'm, I'm finding as a solopreneur here and uh, trying to balance everything, I dropped this one out of my sights. And so my apologies to Zachary Berman, and most importantly, my apologies to Jonathan Aspator for not getting this out as soon as I can. So I wanted to give a shout out to those two guys for their thanks and their patience. And this is a great interview. Jonathan Aspator is a CEO and founder of ExecRank. He's a kind of the quintessential entrepreneur by the age of 23. He had started two companies. He authored seven books on entrepreneurial and financial topics with McGraw-Hill, and he began his career as a serial entrepreneur. A year later after that, he founded Aspator Books, which he grew over a nine-year period into one of the five largest business legal book publishing houses in the United States, which published over 300 titles annually with over 4,000 C-level executive authors, eventually selling the company to Thomson Reuters. Two years into running Aspator Books, Jonathan founded ExecSense, which he also grew over nine years to being the leading e-learning company for business executives, eventually selling the company to Financial Times. So again, Jonathan advises and sits on the boards of several companies Ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies, he's actively involved in junior achievement and youth entrepreneurship in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I just love this conversation with Jonathan. Again, he understands entrepreneurship, definitely understands leadership, and he definitely understands the concept of overcoming fear and self-doubt. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan Aspator on Dose of Leadership. Well, Jonathan, what a thrill to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you. I am uh, thrilled to be here and excited for our conversation today. I am too. I mean, I'm looking at your resume and all the things that you accomplished. I'm, I love talking to entrepreneurs, particularly serial entrepreneurs. And a lot of times people, or I've talked to entrepreneurs like yourself who didn't really equate entrepreneurship and leadership or seeing the overlap. You don't strike me as that type of guy. Do you see the uh, kind of overlap of the two? I absolutely do. I mean, I think you know, part of being an entrepreneur is not being afraid to lead and, and afraid to put yourself out there where others haven't done something or haven't seen it. And, you know, the, the, the best leaders I know are the ones who aren't afraid to make a mistake or aren't afraid to fail and um, just keep getting up and trying again and again. Where did it start for you? I mean, were you one of those kids that were was pushing magazines when you were six years old and finding every opportunity or, or how did entrepreneurship come to you? I was um, in, in a number of ways. I think more so for me, it was I went to the University of Pennsylvania for college and um, I very quickly learned that I wasn't the smartest person in the room, uh, that there were a lot of other kids there. There were a lot more book smart than I was. And so I spent a lot of my time um, thinking about entrepreneurial ideas, testing them, um, auditing different entrepreneurial classes, um, and just trying to find other ways to get ahead because they definitely got better grades than me. And so 
I played around with it for a bit, um, and then about um, six months out of college, I got a book deal on how to uh, start a business in college, and I leveraged that into six other books in the next year, and I basically saved all my shekels and started a book publishing house, and um, that was my first company at 25, and I had my parents convinced if it didn't work, I'd at least get a real-world MBA in the process, <laughs> and uh, fortunately... It did, and I keep keep going on from there and starting new things. Love that. The, Love. the spark came from where? From examples or from um, – was it just kind of as far as you can remember that was the dream to always own your own business? What was it? I think it was from you know just seeing different things out there and seeing what was possible. I know there's a huge debate on either you – know, some people think you're born with it. Other people think you can get it. Um, I think it's like a lot of things in life. I just happen to have a passion for it. We all have different passions in life to right. do different things, whether it's business or otherwise. And when you follow your passions, I feel like whatever they are, usually good things happen because work or the concept of practice isn't really work. It's fun to you and you're engaged and it's always on your mind. And, you know, it, it, it I think it, it's interesting to tie ins to leadership as well because it was very much even from that age failing a ton <laughs> and just yeah. trying different things and seeing what can stick and um and and seeing what happened from there but i but i happen to have it i think from an early age and and it just progressed from there can you define what the dream was then if you had to look back and say i don't know 10 to 15 what was the defined dream i think the dream was to just build something i think i think I've always been a creator in the sense of um, I like to take an idea and see it come to fruition, um, whatever that means. It can be a company. It can be a house. It can be something that I want to do for my employees that I don't want them to know about that I want to devise behind the scenes and surprise them with. Um, I think it's just much more of a creating mindset um, and probably a healthy dose of inability to sit still. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm and I like I'm curious about this because I, I like with you I always get into um, conversations, sometimes debates with some entrepreneurs that we talk about, and some are of the mindset like you said is like, look, either you have it or you don't, and I do have a little bit of a problem with that because it's almost like saying I've heard that in the same thing about leadership, and I'll give you this that we are there are people that are more naturally inclined towards leadership, and just like there's probably more people naturally inclined to entrepreneurship, but I think at the heart. Um, we all can learn how to become better leaders and better entrepreneurs. doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be a serial entrepreneur, but I think at heart, um, going back to the caveman days, we were all leaders and entrepreneurs, and uh, I think that's still there. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, I, I think that part of the beauty of the Internet and online learning and a million other things are if you put your head to doing something, you can do it. Right. Um, and I think it's more about the desire and drive than it is necessarily being born with it. I do think some people are born with it. Yeah. But that still isn't an indicator. I was born with um, an ability to play tennis very well. Um, but I never really had the love and passion for it. Sure. So it never fully blossomed to what it could be. Um, so you really, you know, it can happen a number of different ways for people. And I think truly magical thing ha magical things happen when you put your mind to something and whether you're born with it or not. What excites you now? I mean, what gives you life today? 
So the thing that gives me the most life is really, it's you know, I started companies at a very young age, and for a long time, I was always afraid to ask for advice. And as I've gotten older, I've learned more and more. I've learned more and more how little I actually know, mm-hmm. and not being afraid to ask for advice. And that led to the the company we run right now called ExecRank, which is a global marketplace for advisors and board members. And it's a way for companies to basically find advisors. And a company could be a two-person company or it could be a $100 million public company. Um, and it's a way for executives to get side projects and stimulation by being advisors and board members. So I find it very exciting to be able to connect those two groups of people because you have all these executives who have big-time jobs. They still want to lead. And they're able to lead in their current jobs to an extent, but they want the intellectual stimulation of outside projects and helping a startup or helping a private company in an advisor or board member role. Um, And so that really has me extremely excited right now about what we're doing. That's interesting. I guess I'm kind of naive to the... the, um the space or the the process of it. So if I had a, if I'm um, an executive or a former executive or a leader that feels like they want to give back or pay it forward, this is a place where I can connect with you or, or your company and they can kind of match me with, with a potential company is, is, am I hearing that correctly? Yep. That's exactly right. So the way that the space has traditionally worked is a company would hire a search firm and the search firm okay. would go out and try and find candidates to be a board member or advisor. The problem is search firms can cost easily in six figures to go out and find you that person. So what we did is we turned the model on its head and made it free for companies um, and then we charge executives a nominal monthly fee to be able to access our marketplace. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is now we're getting over 500 companies a month signing up to receive interest from executives who want to be an advisor. Um, and so it's opening up a whole new level of companies to get advisors and board members. We have plenty of public companies who sign up, and then we have tons of small businesses and startups and private companies. Um, but it's, it's enabling all these really smart executives out there who want to use their brain in different ways to find these roles, and it's enabling companies to find advisors and board members as a resource that they never knew how to access before. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess I, I haven't really even thought about it. I guess I haven't been in that position where I would needed to get a executive board, but I could imagine you're right that the process was probably pretty daunting because how would you find number one, the right people? And then, yeah, so that's why they have search firms and then it costs a lot of money. Interesting. I like that idea. What would you think in you? You sat on a lot of boards yourself, I take it. And, um, what is the biggest, challenge uh, for companies. What I mean, what do you think the best benefit is that a board solves for a, a company, if you could kind of categorize them? You know, I think it's different for every company. I think it's whatever their biggest challenge and whatever their biggest opportunity are. I think where boards and advisors can be most helpful is when you come in with a specific need and you match that with someone who has that specific experience. So a lot of our secret sauce, so to speak, is in you know, patent-pending algorithms that automatically match an executive skills with what that company, CEO of that company is looking for. So, and I think every company should have advisors and board Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's whatever your biggest challenge or opportunity is, 
on a quarterly basis address it. It's just they haven't they haven't had the ability or a way to find them, and not only do you find them, but then how to use them. So our job is to really simplify the whole process so that we make finding them easy, and then we have recommendations. Okay, start with quarterly conference calls, periodic emails, and address specific things, not just, okay, how do we become a really good company or how do we go from 2 million in sales, you know, from 1 million. It's more, okay, you know, we want to we want to expand into a new area. You know, what are the right ways? What do we need to do? Or we want to grow from a $4 million company to an $8 million company in the next three years. Let me find a CFO or a CEO who has overseen that same life cycle transition from a company. Um, and, you know, we tell our executive members all the time, you're an expert in a couple things. Don't try and be an expert in business. And, I, and I'd imagine this, this, this parlays to leadership as well. You have to know your strengths and play up on those strengths and tell other people how you can help them because the best matches happen when someone comes in with the specific experience that you're looking for. Right. Because as the CEO, it's a breath of fresh air. You know, you're yeah. used to being very alone in your decision making. Everyone else is very busy. You bring in a fresh person with a fresh perspective and it's extremely valuable and it's a fraction of the cost if you were to hire a consultant, if you were to hire, you know, another full-time head, what have you. Yeah, it's so it's it is kind of you see that at every level. I mean, we have, from a personal growth perspective, we're always encouraging each other to surround ourselves with with our own kind of private board of advisors, our mentors, or our little private masterminds, whatever the case. So it's no different. You're just taking it up to that level. And I suppose that the challenge, I can imagine that everything probably stems, if you could look at all the challenges, there's an underlying, uh, I don't know, sense of, you know, perfecting the leadership culture or, or getting the communication right. I mean, I don't know. Everything always seems to kind of go back to that. It almost goes back to do do you have a leadership culture? Can a board uh, – certainly I can picture the, the board helping me with my strategy and thinking big picture. But what about shaping the leadership culture? Is that ever something a board specializes in? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, once again, it gets back to what you need as sure. a CEO or what your company needs. And I think that leadership, you know, you and I have talked about this. It, it's such a key part of every company. And so if you can identify what that means to your company, you have the ability then to bring someone on who has been there and done that. And a lot of what we see with CEOs is that they're all oftentimes also bringing someone on for what's missing in their own needs department. So is it a healthy dose of leadership and how do we incorporate this more into our decision making, into our future? Um, and leadership is actually one of the tags we have for our members for them to explain what they see as leadership and what their experience is there. Because it's key to every company, regardless of your size, location, industry, it doesn't matter. I know we. I know there's a, a million ways to skin a cat, and there's a million different ways to lead, and, and there's no one right way to lead. There's no one right leadership personality. But if you had to generalize, and you had to say what works for today's companies and what doesn't work, how would you how would you cliff note that for me? I would say. 
it starts with being a good listener and not being afraid to either ask smart questions or bring in people who know better than you do. Um, I think, you know, I touched on it earlier a little bit. Part of building a really dynamic and successful company, culture, all those things is you have to bring in the right parts. And the CEO who tries to do everything or thinks that he or she knows everything is rarely that successful. And so I think it's really about being able to take in all these different pieces of information from employees, from customers, from your own, you know, education and what you read in the marketplace and being able to just think that through and, and plot a vision and, and being the person to take the steps. And not every step will work, but getting the best information you can from as many different sources and not being afraid to ask questions and go at it that way, I think is a very healthy way to approach it. You know, authenticity and vulnerability seem to be kind of buzzwords. It gets bandied around a lot. I know we talk about it a lot on the show. What is your gut reaction when you hear those words in terms of the currency and, and leadership? Um, you know, I think you can, you can cut through it pretty quickly. I mean, I, I think you can kind of see who's real and who's not. I mean, all of us have made errors, have done things wrong, and I think – you know, I, I think it's pretty easy normally to tell if you're, what you're seeing is genuine. I think you can also pretty quickly talk to other people that know the person and get insights that way. But I think it's important. I mean, I know in my own business dealings, uh, whether it's people we're doing business with, partners, potential employees, if I get at all a sense that, you know, what I see isn't what I get, I really don't want to be involved with them. Um, and that's just been my own personal take on things. And um, yeah, that's kind of it. You know, being the guy at the top, one thing I've always noticed, and I see this, and in fact, I just had a, a couple conversations with people from very, various companies, large companies, and they say their biggest challenge is making sure they get the accurate information. There's always this pressure from you know, the junior executives and the middle managers on up, not portraying things exactly how they are. Um, I see that all the time. What has your experience been with that? And as a CEO, how would you ensure that the communication you get, the good and the bad, and particularly the bad, is coming to you um, and getting to you? I, I think the top people around you, as best as you can, you have to know them incredibly well. I've been unbelievably blessed to work with three other top folks that um, ever since we started this company um, have been with us. And I would do anything for them, business, personal, or otherwise. And I know they feel the same way. And, and that that thread of trust, of friendship, of respect, um, I think carries through in everything we do. And in reality, you, you can never insure against everything. It's impossible. Right. And so by having that in place with my three top people, it gives me the comfort level that I'm doing everything I can. 
And, you know, you can't obviously do that at every company. It doesn't work that way. Um, but I do think the concept of having a very small inner circle of people you trust implicitly, um, I think is probably the best way to defend against that and to enjoy your days. I mean, life is short and we all work very hard and you spend a lot of time at work. You know, you have to believe in what you're doing and believe that you are making a difference and that you're providing a really good product or service at the end of the day, that you're not just out to make a buck. Right. Buck. And then surround yourself with people who are intelligent and that you really enjoy. Um, And I think that's kind of the best recipe for how to attack it. Yeah. And people that are willing to tell you the truth yes right? and tell you hey absolutely you know, willing to say your breath is bad or your flies undone you know fig- completely right. yes in fact i just got told earlier today we had this whole plan done and my coo came in and basically you know in his nice way said you're completely wrong this is how we should do it yeah and he was totally right and you know, it's 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 funny. It took me all of eight seconds to see it, you know, and I was joking with him and throwing things at him in the process. But, <laughs> right. um, you know, it is it, it's it happens. <laughs> well, you, you, you hit on a great point. And, you know, we were talking earlier how I see that in flying airplanes is that same thing. It's like you have to have an environment. You know, you could be sitting literally, you know, 12 inches from somebody and there can be a wall, a communication wall there. And there's been accident upon accident of planes perfectly good planes flying on the ground because the person in one seat was afraid to tell the other person they're about to do something stupid and that blows me away and so whatever you can do to break down those barriers and say it's not your right to challenge me it's your obligation and the people like you said you got that trust built where people can come to you comfortably and tell you you're about to do something stupid i think that's a gift you know that you need to, to to nurture and cherish for sure I agree. I couldn't agree more. And and you're right. I can't even imagine in the sense of something like flying an airplane where the stakes are so much higher. And you have it too, you know, airplanes, you have it in the healthcare system, you have it, there's so many other ways. And I think it ties back a lot to leadership and the essence of you can't be afraid to speak up, whatever that means. And you know, for me, that's a lot of what leading is, um, is, is, is doing that, but also knowing, okay, I was wrong. Chris was right. Mm -hmm. And great. I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to do it your way. Now let's move on. Yeah. It takes a great deal of confidence to do that. And you're absolutely right. But man, the payoff is huge. I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. And it, and think how that person feels when you do acknowledge that they spoke up and you're like, Oh man, you're so right. Thank you for saving my bacon, you know? And right. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. It, yeah, you know, I agree. I don't know why. I mean, you, you certainly don't strike me as that, but I've seen a lot of leaders who certainly let their ego get in the way. I've seen it both yeah. in the airplane and I've seen it at the corporate level too, where it's like, man, you know, and, and that's when, you don't get all the information, I don't think, or you get partial information because you don't want to piss off the old man, right? So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I find that the the you have to have a certain innate confidence to lead. Yeah. Um, but I think the more you're willing to let go of that and let others voice their opinion and admit you were wrong and listen to others, I feel like that's how you become more successful. I mean, I find is as my, if, I almost see them as ego and confidence as two different things. I do too, as my yeah. Ego gets smaller 
I find that my confidence gets greater and I'm more successful. And I find that a lot of times you get people who, you know, people say it all the time. I've, I've had the good fortune of selling two companies and people think that, okay, you're an entrepreneur, you just know how to do this. And even with exec rank, our company now, you know, it took years to figure it out and it's not easy and it's hard. And you get a lot of people who taste a little bit of success and all of a sudden they think they're an expert and they know more than everyone else. No one knows anything still. Sure. Certain people have more experience, but you know, the, the, it, it, it takes a certain innate confidence to lead and, and to do things. But the super successful people are always learning are always wanting to uncover new things, are always looking at new challenges. I mean, you look at Bill Gates and, you know, with Microsoft and, and, and then moving into philanthropy and, and saying, okay, what are the world's biggest challenges that I can tackle? And, you know, to me, I respect that tremendously. And um, it's a great model for the rest of us to follow. Yeah, that teachable, humble spirit is really what it's all yep. about. Constantly being, you know, having a, a, a teachable spirit having a sense of humility, we're understanding that well, I don't know it all and I'm not afraid of being wrong. And that's where the confidence comes in and having the confidence to, you know, I don't know the answers to this, but I know we're going to figure it out. You know, that I think is such a healthy confidence that, that inspires. Well, it's interesting to me to see how, um, well, and I just, I, I'm curious about this because you're a serial entrepreneur. I was talking with a serial entrepreneur last week, and I'm going to interview him for a local show here. And for the better part of his life, and, you know, he studied success, and, and it was interesting. He said, yeah, after the end of our conversation at lunch, he said, I don't consider myself a leader. And I was just floored. I said, what are you talking about? And he's the same age as me. He's 46. And he goes, well, I just I don't like to consider myself a leader because I'm more of I, I collaborate. I'm collaborative. I don't like to dictate from the top. And I'm like, dude, I mean, leadership is, <laughs> is creativity. It's it's collaboration. It's it's setting a vision. It's being, you know, having hope. It's showing how things can be. It's it's all of those things. Everything you do is centered in leadership. It's not dictating from the hill. This is what we're going to do and laying out the strategy. I don't know. And I guess my question is, in the world of serial entrepreneurs, do you find more that attitude or more like what you – to me, from an outsider looking at you, you get it, right? You understand how leadership and entrepreneurship meld. I, this isn't the first conversation I've had with a serial entrepreneur who didn't – who, or at least they had the, when they heard the word leadership, it was totally different than what, what I've been talking about. What are your thoughts? I, I mean, I think the collaboration, you have to be open and excited about collaboration to be a leader. Yeah. I, I think it's, once again, that innate confidence and open to letting others voice their opinions and then siphoning from that conversation pieces that make your overall case stronger would make for a good good leader. And, and everyone has different interpretations of it. And it's funny, everyone sees themselves a little bit differently with it. I think if you're, you know, in the case of all my companies, I've always funded them myself. Um, you know, I got a couple book deals out of school, used those pennies to start the first one, put all the money that I made from the first one to the second one, so on and so forth. And I think that's giving me also a little bit different perspective with, okay, we're playing only with my money, so to speak. Um, so, 
it, it, I also have much more of a, um, you know, grip over all of it because it's, um, it's just different. And I think that helps because when you're leading with your, you know, it's, it's very different. There's the whole other people's money concept. And I think there's a, a natural level of how you act differently when it's your money versus somebody else's right, money. Right. And so, um, but I think leadership, serial entrepreneurship, you have to be able to um, lead. And you also have to be able to, to, you know, we have one big company here with exec rank, but we launch four to six new companies a year. And you know, almost always, they all fail. And every couple of years, we get another one right, and we get that going. But it's really just the ability to keep trying different things and not being afraid to try what other people might think is crazy um, or what other people think is impossible. Um, it's really just kind of getting up off the ground every time and going at it again. And yeah. people look and look at it and say, oh, my gosh, you know, you have this, you know, big company that does all these things. They don't see all the times you fell down before that right, or right, how many right. stumbles you've had getting to that point. And we've certainly had them. Um, but I think leadership is absolutely key to entrepreneurship because you have to have the, the mental and physical fortitude to weather so many storms, so many naysayers, such small odds, and try it constantly until you happen to get it right before you run out of time, whatever that means. Um, and so I think it's paramount. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if he, if he understood that. I mean, it's kind of the point is moot if he really kind of understood the definition or not, because he's making things happen regardless of how he defined leadership. But I think it's just interesting to me from a, it's interesting from a, a perception of what leadership is because everything you just described there to me is at the heart of leadership. And I think a lot of times we do think it's about the charismatic personality that's kind of saying, I'm warning you to charge the hill, follow me boys. And you know, and it's, yeah. And I think that helps. I mean, I yeah, think sure. you have to be, if you're going to lead, people have to like you. And sure, right. I think some of the most effective leaders are, are really good people at the end of the day. And they look you in the eye and they care about what you're saying and they will do everything they can for you. And I, I think that is an important quality to have. And I think it helps um, but there's so many different aspects of leadership and what goes into that. Um, and I just, I'm amazed the more people I meet, there are so many smart people out there. Oh, man, yeah. Um, and the more you talk to them, listen to them. Um, and, and, you know, in the case of with exec rank, we try and get them to help other people's companies. You're, you're going to do better. Your company's going to do better, whatever it is. You know, I'm so, um, these past three years from doing this show, my level of optimism or hope, hope is probably a better word because hope denotes action. My hope is, has really blossomed. And when I say hope, it's hope for the nation, the hope for this kind of what I sense is an entrepreneurial um, movement or revolution. And maybe it's just that I'm coming to the party later than most. And maybe it's always been there, but I do sense something's afoot. Um, what's your take on that? Oh, I completely agree. I think, you know, part of what happened with the internet is people realize you can learn about anything. And once the learning happens, people start to believe they can be anything or they can do anything. And I think it's coming. I think more and more people are seeing that if you can um, 
have more of an impact on your future by yourself, go for it. Um, and I think the tools are out there with the technology um, and with the ability to parlay knowledge into a company, a living, breathing thing. Um, it is hard. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think that's the other side of it that's gotten overhyped a little bit is between the show Silicon Valley and Facebook and Google and Twitter, everybody thinks, you know, okay, you know, you just go do this. And it's also harder than ever because there are so many people trying to do it. But I think that we are entering a generation where there will be more and more people having their own company. And that can mean a myriad of things. It can, it, it can mean so many different things to different people because the other side of it is having a company, you don't have to overtake the world. You may have a small company that you do speeches with or, or that you do a small blog website, what, whatever it is. But I think people are also starting to see the stimulation it provides for something that's your own um, because there's a lot more satisfaction to be had than just the dollars it adds to your bank account. And it may not even be in a for-profit scenario. So I agree. I think it's coming, and I'm thrilled to see the tools, technologies, and resources are there. And we're trying to help in our own small way with ExecRank with advisors because there are 240 million companies in the world, and every single one of them should have an advisor, whether they're yeah. a startup or, or someone else. I, lo I love the idea. I love it, exactly what you're doing. Are you optimistic about the future or hopeful about the future of the United States, of the, the world economy? Because if you look in the standard mediums, there's a bunch of doom and gloom. And I don't know, what, I don't know how worried I should be. It's hard to say. I think there, there, there are always, you know, doom and gloom gets eyeballs. Um, and it grabs people in the form of headlines. And it's really hard to know for certain. Um, but I think what we're seeing is a generation of people who are taking things into their own hands more and seeing that they're feeling like they can make a difference in their own way. And I think that's powerful. And so I'm very hopeful that the world, and especially here in the United States, that will continue to do good things and especially to do them around things that help a lot of people. Um, and so I'm optimistic. That That's my nature. I mean, there's sure. always data and things out there where you can be optimistic or pessimistic. And, um, you know, I, I think attitude is so important. And whether it's leadership um, or, or whether it's simply how you interact with your kids, um, I think just how you look at the glass half full or half empty is, is so important. Well, and I think... I think it's important to remind us too that even when things do, I mean, how many stories of opportunity or the things that we're we're so used to now came out of those kind of darker periods in our history, you know, because somebody yep. had the optimistic vision or the opportunistic vision and the wherewithal and the ability to take action when everybody else was kind of hiding. And that takes a courageous leader in my opinion. I agree. I mean, you look at with Elon Musk and, and with Tesla and even SpaceX, I mean, you, 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 people are looking at him and saying, holy cow, you know, everyone's barking. You can't do it. It won't work. You're, you're going to go bankrupt. All these different things. And he's doing it. Right. And I think it's exciting for all generations to see that that's possible um, and to see that the boundaries of what possible can still be extended and will continue to extend. And I think 
that that excitement can hopefully overshadow some of the doom and gloom um, of what's out there. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, I'm always curious about who people's heroes are, who they look up to, and um, and curious who, what shoulders you're standing on. Who would you invite to that ultimate dinner party, live or dead, those five people you would just definitely love to, to, to talk with and gain knowledge from? Um, I think Richard Branson, for sure. I mean, he, he, to me, is one who, you know, he likes to start hundreds of companies, and that, that sits well with me, and, and I love his saying of, you know, you kind of have to hang around long enough to figure it out. Um, so definitely be him. Um, Elon Musk, who I talked about before, who just has no problem going for it and thinking big um, and coming at it that way. Um, Roger Federer, the tennis player, oh, nice, um, yeah. I to be number one for so long in an individual sport right. and where people also told you towards the end of your career, you should stop playing, you're not as good anymore. And he said, no, thank you, I love the game. I think that's incredible leadership. Um, and fortitude, especially in an individual sport, um, when you were such the high of it. Um, I think uh, another one's Bill Gates, just in terms of transitioning from an entrepreneur to such a philanthropic individual, um, something that I aspire to someday. Um, and then if I got one more, it would be my dad. He was, uh, and he still is a big board member and has been CEO of big companies and um, I appreciate his perspective and I think it's always good to know where you came from um, and remember that's a part of you and not you know just always reaching for more 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 he's so much of the DNA that I am and I'm appreciative of it I love that besides your dad whose other shoulders are you standing on um, the, the, the folks I work with here I have a gentleman named Chris Beaver another one named Dallas Bond and then a woman named Carrie Robardier and they were the three I was mentioning before who nothing would be possible without them um, they I, I feel really lucky I get to spend my days with them they're incredibly intelligent people um, and I it's, it's fun I mean we've, we've been through many exciting times and had our plenty share of tough times. And, but when you have people around you who you generally enjoy and who pick you up and who you trust and who mean a lot to you, it just brings the meaning of work to a whole nother level. Um, and I just think the world of them. Well, Jonathan, man, you're one of the good ones. I can just tell, I mean, I get a lot of sense, especially when listening to people you get a, especially doing this for three years, you can just sense, you can, you know, the listening is, um, and listening and sensing the the type of man that you are, I could just tell you'd be a great person to work with and work for. And so I congratulate you on all your success and and all the kind of common sense leadership that you're bringing uh, to the forefront, and obviously the entrepreneurship too. And so I appreciate what you're doing at every level. And um, Exec Rank is the website. That's the thing that you talked about. You're excited about. Where else can people connect with you and find more about you? Um. LinkedIn, absolutely connect with me there. Um, execrank.com is the marketplace for board members and advisors. Um, and those are probably the, the two best places. But thank you very much for your kind words um, and, and for having me on. Well, I'll have links to all this. It's been an honor having you on the show. And I'm so excited to have met you and look forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Great. Thanks so much. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook. 
a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. <music>